Brett, they're really getting confidence now. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Cuddy and the Cooge. Today marks a day in the podcast history. We have our first live in-studio basement home studio guest. And as always, I'm going to turn it over to Cuddy to give the intro. Well, thanks, Cooge. Uh, and uh, yeah, today is a, is, a, is a big event for us. First in-person studio guest and uh Really happy to have this guest here because uh, I spent my last four and a half years uh, with Coach Greg Gattuso, who is now the head football coach at the University at Albany. So, Greg, thanks so much for being here. We're, we're going to get into your your career and all that. So maybe I'll um, uh, we'll talk about that first. But anyway, thanks for thanks for being here. I'm I'm greatly honored. I I didn't know that I was the first in person uh, person to be on your uh, podcast, so I'm I'm excited about it. It's great. Well, every every day we come up with something different, so it's it's kind of good. <laughs> Got to so, keep it fresh on yeah. the Cuddy and the Cooge. <laughs> so, Greg, tell us about. I didn't actually know till we were talking before the podcast that you were in the police force for a brief time before coaching. Yeah, I was in law enforcement for seven years. I I when I got out of when I got out of college that's all i ever wanted to be was a, a i wanted to be a homicide detective in the city of pittsburgh so i went i criminal justice all, ever since i was a little kid never thought about nfl or major league baseball that was never on the agenda it was always police and always wanted to be a police chief i'm still want to be so if there's a small town out there in, in a few years and needs a chief of police uh that would be my bucket list thing but that's um, cool and then you played football in college right yes penn state like penn many state. many decades ago Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I was, I wanted to ask you, so I, looking at your, your bio, which, you know, takes us way back kind of yeah. in my generation, <laughs> 81 to 83, you were at Penn state and then you stayed there as a graduate student. Right. But then you went into high school. Mm-hmm. So how did you fit policing? Cause it, it doesn't look like you really had seven year break from coaching. Did you do them simultaneously? How did you do that? Well, actually, it, it's it is it's kind of weird. Like I'm probably one of the few coaches today in Division One or above FCS and up that's even some Division Two that that didn't wasn't really a true. I wasn't really a GA. I, you know, they helped me get my degree. One of those yeah. kind of things, and I didn't go work in GA. I didn't work up the ladder. I just went right into being a head coach at. Um, I coached a little bit of high school for a couple of years as an assistant. Uh, I literally was in. Giant Eagle, which is Price Chopper up here, you know. <laughs> I was walking down when I was just got out of college, and the high school from from my high school coach grabbed me and asked me if I wanted to start coaching. I was like, not really, but you know, I'll give it some my thoughts. I really didn't want to coach, so I, but I took the JV job, got fired. You know, I got fired for my first three jobs, <laughs> but yeah, I was um I was in uh, what's called the lockup in Pittsburgh, which was anyone that was arrested in the city of Pittsburgh was transported where you get processed. You know, you, if you remember the old show Night Night Court, any anybody out there with with uh, Bull the big. I, I yeah, did, I, that's remember a great that show? show. Oh, I love that show. Well, I did that. I was I was bull. You know, I mean, I was. Oh, uh, we, okay. we we process them. We you know whoever. I mean, it could be anyone from someone that committed a violent crime to just a, a drunk that got arrested on the street. So we handled all that. I got into police work at Bethel Park, which is a community outside of Pittsburgh. Um, loved being a policeman for th- almost four years. And I literally was getting my dream opportunity to go on to the city of Pittsburgh police the same day I got offered the Duquesne head coaching job. So I, I had coached at my high school, Seton LaSalle, turned on a turned around a really bad program, won a, won a Whitfield championship, had a great three years there, um, great kids, great place. And then this, this opportunity at Duquesne kind of opened up and we actually pursued the, the AD to, to get my name involved in it. It was another goofy story from a bunch of 29 year old maniacs in <laughs> Pittsburgh. So, but it all worked, you know, I, I gave up police work, which was hard. And uh, my father was furious with me because he, you know, he was a union guy and you don't give up good jobs. And he thought I was crazy to go into coaching. And, but I did and Duquesne university hired me and uh, it's really was a great move for me. 
Yeah, it turned out. I mean, your, your success at Duquesne was, you know, I, I you had like 66 wins and seven losses in the it was a Metro Atlantic Conference. Metro Atlantic Athletic yeah. Conference. We we actually San Diego just tied our record of 30 uh 36 straight conference wins um in in FCS. So they didn't break it, which I was happy. So we <laughs> held on. You know, I, I had 33 years of those and then Jerry Schmidt who took over for me um was undefeated for 3 years in the conference. So yeah, we we had a good run. Yeah. That's an awesome like little campus too. I actually recently went to Pittsburgh which Shout out. I loved Pittsburgh. I mean, I had been there growing up as a kid, you know, with my dad just driving through to get to West Virginia and stuff. But I went as an adult and that city is so cool. It's it's a great city. We love it. It really reminds, you know, a lot of up here reminds me of Western Pennsylvania. I'm sure Jerry for you, but you Same know, thing, yeah. Don in the Hoopyville, but Hoopy, you know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's um it's a great, it's a great I just literally Melissa Peach are um our compliance just asked me for some restaurants and recommendations. Everyone asked me for restaurant recommendations. Yeah. I don't know why, but I, I, I gave her a few, you know, off yeah, the, you off gave the, me some too. Yeah, Fatheads. We did you make it to Fatheads? No, but we went to the deli place okay. that you said, the, the, the sandwich. Uh, Permantes. Yes. Yeah. Permanti Brothers. Yeah. yeah do you like Permantes? Amazing. Permantes has, has become very famous. Yes. Yeah. It was awesome. Um, well, so after Duquesne, you stayed. Where did you go after that? Uh, I went to University of Pittsburgh. Um, Dave Wanstead. I, you know, I just, I kind of was fortunate. You know, I was looking. I had we had done everything at Duquesne we could possibly do. We, I think, we won eight champions, the eight conference titles in my eleven years, and I just, it was just time for something a little bit different. And I, you know, I was able to get on with Dave Wanstead, and uh, who I have incredible respect for leading up to that had run his defense at Duquesne for 12 years. And, um, just again, it, it's amazing in this profession is it's timing and being in the right place at the right time. I, I literally ran into him at a, at a, a big function in Pittsburgh in the summertime, Armin Delavade, who's a big golden Panther was having. And I just, I walked into him, you know, and we just started talking and, and, uh, next thing you know, I'm working for him the next year. So it was kind of just one of those weird circumstances, you know, that he told me he was thought about hiring me. I was like, hire me. He was at the dolphins at the time, you know? So I ended up at Pitt with him. He's one of the best people in the profession. You know, I was really blessed to work with him for six years and, and, uh, they were great years, you know, coach Aaron Donald recruited him to Pitt coach. Jabal Sheard, a bunch of guys that are playing in the NFL. So it was it was a good experience. And then I went to Maryland for three years after that. Nice. Before, I, before Albany with Randy Etzel. Okay. So between your coaching jobs, did you – this is something I've always been curious about with coaching because getting fired is kind of a culture of a coach. Like, And I always thought that was so like – sad like I hate being fired but coaches like <laughs> we just... don't love it it's not our favorite thing <laughs> I know but it's just like kind of an accepted thing like it's... coaches like no it's like accepted that coaches get fired and then they get hired somewhere else like how does that feel as like I mean as you said you don't love it but like it was you know we we, we got let go at I've really only been fired one time um prior to my early years when I deserved <laughs> fired, but it, it, when we got fired to Pitt, it, it was really a, um, a sad time. It was a conflict, I think with the athletic director, Steve Peterson, who I hope he's listening. I still don't like, but you know, it, it was really disappointing. Dave wants that's one of the great people in our business. He really truly is. And we had built a, a football team that, that was going to be great moving forward. He just was an incredible recruiter. He, he was one of those guys that could walk in any home and have a shot at the kid, which, University of Pittsburgh, you know, is doing great now, but has struggled with recruiting, you know, but to get kids from Ohio and Florida and Wani was just the best at recruiting and, and he really worked at it, you know, so mm -hmm. it, it was, it was hard. Um, we all kind of know that it's on the horizon, you know, that it can happen anywhere at any time. Mm -hmm. it, it can be a sudden change at athletic director, which kind of, I think happened at, um, at Pitt. Um, it, it just is, it's all part of the culture and, uh, it affects you. It's, it's hard, you know, that dealing with the next coach as he comes in and some of the things. So there, there was a lot of issues with it, but you know, I, I was young enough. It's, it's when you're young and you, you just move on to the next opportunity. And, yeah. uh, I had met Randy Etzel th through a really good friend, Bill Hurley. And, um, so he gave me a shot to go with him to Maryland. So that transition between like getting fired as a coach 
and then getting your next job. How is that? Is that all just about networking? Do you start reaching out to people or? Do well, you- it's, it's hard. I, I'm not a big network guy. I'm not like that. I haven't, I've never been, we never planned to leave Pittsburgh. You know, I would, mm-hmm. if Duquesne would have, if Duquesne was doing then what we are doing now in the NEC with the scholarships and things, I would have never left Duquesne. I loved it there. It was, I was very happy there. Um, so we, we had planned that I didn't look for jobs. We, it was important that we were around for the kids as much as we could be. And, and my daughter's growing up and we were home. We loved being in Pittsburgh. Um, then, then moving on to Pitt. So we really, I spent 18, 19 years, actually 20 years counting high school coaching in Pittsburgh, never thinking we were going to leave. And mm-hmm. then, you know, the, all of a sudden the, the, the firing happens and, you know, yeah. now you're spinning. I'm not a network guy. I don't, I don't like the coaches clinics. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't go to the, I'm sorry, the coaches convention. I'm not, I'm just not one of those kind of guys, but you know, luckily I was fortunate enough to get, um, with coach Etzel. He had, you know, I, he had, co- he knew how my D lines played. So I went and coached defensive line for him. So, um, that's that, you know, it's hard jobs are, can be tough, you yeah. know? Well, the, the other end of that too is, I mean, it's one thing to get fired and, um, <clears throat> you know, being a, starting my career as an athletic trainer, obviously I saw a lot of transition yep. with coaches. Uh, but the other end of it is too, is like in your case, you know, you're, you're building a program at Albany and, and, you know, n- not that, you know, this is going to happen, but, but you get real good and then somebody takes you away. So that's just as transitional as really getting fired. Not so much for the head coach in, in a sense, because you're kind of moving on, for a, a better job, but then you got all the assistant coaches under you and you know, what do they do? So football's a, I always thought was just, it's really brutal. And, and, uh, you know, I, I'd mentioned this before, you know, I, I'd never, I was an interim athletic director at UNLV. And unfortunately, um, cause I, I had no ill will toward the head football coach, but it was one of those situations we had to make a change and it was, a. Uh, you know, my boss left to take another AD job. Right, right. And so I got stuck in a very tough position. Because you're an interim, you don't want to get rid of, you don't want to do, you don't want to make those kind of decisions. But, um, but unfortunately I had to, and, and it, it's, it's always really tough. The hardest part of that was really the day that I had to go in and sit down with uh, first the head coach, but then all the assistant coaches, because you're looking at, 11 or 12 people's lives, yeah, no doubt. family and friends and, you know, and, 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 and the longer coaches stay in one place, it's even more challenging. So it's, it's a brutal business. And any way you look at it, it's, it's not fun. You know? I, I, I'm so, that's one of the things, and you know me, you know, I, I came here because this is where I wanted to be. I'm, I'm glad I left Duquesne and, and the, tr- the, the people I've met and the jobs I, I, I enjoy the, the process and, but I feel such a responsibility for my coaches. You know, I've got, we got a bunch of babies. Coach Fiocchi just had a little baby, Theo, right. and uh-huh. Nate has a couple little girls and Joe Davis has a couple little girls and I'm sorry, Nate has a boy and a girl and, and, um, Grayson will beat me up for saying that. Sorry, Grayson. <laughs> um, but you know, we have a bunch of kids, coach Mincy has a bunch of kids. And, um, so I, you know, I, it's, it's really important to have stability in your program. Plus yeah. stability is a critical piece to being successful. And it is that guys that get forgotten are, are the, are the support people on a football staff, the, the assistant coaches on the staff, everyone's worried about head coaches, but those guys are gone. Whether the coach gets fired or he moves on, because very rarely does a coach take his entire staff with them. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's always people. I, I always use the story of the, the coach in the Big Ten who was at a Big Ten school with a power. They went to the Rose Bowl and they got all their bonuses and he walked in for the next meeting and said, guys, I'm going to another rival school. And he, uh, he left and those guys were, some of them went and a lot of them didn't go, you know, and they just, they just hit all their bonus points and right. you know yeah. what I mean? Like it was, you know, so it is, it's, it's a hard business. It's and tough. Yeah, It's tough, but it is, like you said, it, it kind of, once you, you know, find yourself where you're at, like you said, you, you love where you're at now. It's, it's kind of the same thing. I think our family can empathize when, when we were uprooted for, from Las Vegas, none of like that was devastating for our oh, family, yeah, you know, tough. but now we love upstate New York. Like I feel like, you know, just everything kind of brings you to like exactly where you need to be. And, you know, it's great programs, great people. It, it's easier. It's easiest for us. It's easiest for the coaches. You know, you, you, I remember, you know, my daughter, Jackie, who's a pharmacist, she was, 
my kids were the ball girls at Duquesne growing up. They were, they were, they were on the field. They were, you know, they were just, it was just such a cool environment for kids. And Jackie always wanted to be a pharmacist. So Duquesne has one of the best pharmacy programs in the country. And I always said to my wife, I hope I don't, nothing happens. And cause Jackie is dead set on going to Duquesne and literally she's getting ready to go to Duquesne the next year. We haven't even, and, and I, I leave for pit, you know, and she's crying. <laughs> and I, you know, I felt terrible because I was like, what am I going to do? You know, at the time it was going to be hard to send her to, to Duquesne. And, and fortunately the people with Duquesne were, were very gracious and, and she was a great student. So she was able to get uh, a nice academic, she earned her way academically, but you know, it, it is it, like she was going home and given the good news we were going to pit was I bet with crying and gnashing of teeth. So it was, it was, it was, it's tough. The families, the wives, you know, if you, as a coach in in athletics, it's probably true most professions, but you don't have someone at home that's a hundred percent on board. It's a nightmare. And that does happen a lot to coaches. They don't, but I, you know, Colleen, you, you guys know Colleen, she's great. She's all in, she's screaming in the stands and, you know, (laughs) Katie's been in a few fist fights in the stands. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't mess with Katie. No, Katie's. (laughs) Well, I, I, uh, you know, I I look, look on my career, same thing with Annette, my wife. I mean, you know, when I, when we first got married and we moved to Las Vegas, she had never been out of Iowa and, you know, I'd never been, I I was out West at Iowa state for a couple of football games. We played in San Diego once, but um, I told her, I said, well, we'll just go there, you know, two or three years and we'll be, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll move on. And you get to somewhere and you start putting your roots down yeah. and then it, and then the longer you're there, the harder it is. You know, I remember coach Tarkanian, the only job that I really seriously got into, um, and I, and I didn't even get into it, but it was when the Minnesota Timberwolves expanded into the NBA. And I think it was the Musselman family or something. They, but they coach Tark was real good friends with the general manager who was Musselman. And I don't remember which one. And he had come to practice and Tark told me, Hey, I want you to talk to this guy. You could, you know, he, he's looking for a trainer, athletic trainer for the men, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I was kind of excited because NBA and I was still young and I'm like, man, you know, blah, blah. And I never will forget a guy that, you know, uh, coach Gergerich, Tim Gergerich, you know, I, so I talked to this guy during practice and everything, and I was really excited about it. And, you know, Gerg told me, he's like, are you nuts? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? He said, you know, that's that's tough, man. That's an expansion team. He said, you know, you're going to have like 10 wins maybe the first couple of years. They're probably going to go through like five coaches, probably four or five athletic oh, trainers. No doubt. You know what I mean? When you expand like that, I didn't know. I'm like, eh, well, whatever. And he said, you're going to be coming out of that arena in Minneapolis. It's going to be like 20 below zero. <laughs> and you're just going to get your ass kicked by somebody. And then you got to get up the next day and do it all over again. You're crazy. Stay here. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I listened to some good wisdom there, but uh, that, that was really the only time that I, I considered because these guys, my, kids put the pressure on me dad we don't want to leave vegas yeah we love vegas and you know sometimes it's not your choice you know? no it, it it's i don't I, I would never i mean i like i said i'd have never left duquesne you know it was never this has never been about money to me or anything like that i mm-hmm. i could have left maryland and and try to go d-line coaches are making a ton of money around the country and d coordinators i just it was never about that i wanted to be a head coach again and that being happy is premium to me, you know, and that's, that's, you know, I, I I was just going to say, you know, taking that out of Iowa to, to Vegas, I don't know if you could have taken her to a more, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. She cried all the way from, I mean, literally cried all the way. She's told me the story that she told my, her grandpa or my grandpa, her dad, is it too late to back out the morning of the wedding? <laughs> the morning of the wedding, yeah. So I, I was on um, the fence. <laughs> go, going back, just I'm curious, how do you know Tim Gergerich? Um, he he was so such a good guy. He was coach at University of Pittsburgh, and he was it's crazy as it sounds. He, my eighth grade banquet was the first time I met him. He he spoke at our eighth grade banquet. Back then, you know, you could get the big coaches to do things like that. Right. Little St. Catharines in Beachview, you know, we were wow. He came in, um, he was great to us. He took pictures with us with the old, you know, yeah. Can, you know, um, he, he was, he was amazing. And I used to go to camps there. He was always treating me. Well, I don't know if he remembers me or not. He, he, he actually I told might. him about you. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. he might. I mean, we, we went to all his basketball camps. He treated us great. He just, you know, that's, that's 
that's what gets you into coaching guys like him. Yeah. You know, I mean, the guys you, you know, my, my, um, eighth grade football coach was, he's the reason I even got into football. Cause I, I went to his house before I applied for Seton LaSalle with my resume and said, if you don't come coach me, cause he was retired. And I said, if you don't come coach me, I'm not doing this. He goes, you got to do this. You, you can do a great job. I go, if you don't join the staff, I'm, I'm not applying. He said, I can't Greg, I'm, I, I'm too old and I'm retired. And I, and I said, okay. And I went to rip up my resume and he went, no, no. So he said, I'll give you one year. So three years later, you know, <laughs> but that's the kind of people that impact you as a coach and how they, something so small in such a small world, then all of a sudden Jerry knows them. And you know, yeah, I know. I'd love to, I wish we were supposed to go down and try to see a game. I would love to see him again. I, he just was, had an impact on me as a Where is he eighth now? grader. I don't even know. Coach Kirk? You know, yeah. He's semi-retired. He still does consulting with the NBA, still work with the Detroit Pistons. And mm. I, I talk to him, you know, I don't know, once a couple, once a month or so, we'll yeah. touch base or he'll text me or, yeah. um, sounds like our uh, next now, podcast guest. He'd well, be, he'd be a, <laughs> he'd, he'd be, be a gem. Yeah. But he, he doesn't do that stuff. He, he's not, he, he'd be very hard. He, he just doesn't do media stuff. I tell you what he's doing in Vegas. So he got COVID really bad wow. and he really struggled with it. And, and so I, I was talking to him during that time, but how did he get COVID Gerg being Gerg and, you know, talking about like great coach, passionate about it. He literally was going out in the mornings cause he has a grandson and who's, you know, learned to play basketball. I think he's, his grandson's probably like 10 or 11 or so. So he would take his grandson down to a local junior high school in the morning, turn his car lights on and work, <laughs> work his grandson out. Yeah. So word gets around the community, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, coach Gergerich is down there working his grandson out and a couple of his, couple of his grandson's friends. Next thing you know, they got like 20 guys. Really? Yeah. Kids. And then Keith Starr, who you might remember. That I remember name. that name. Yeah. Keith played at the university of Pittsburgh for Gerg. Keith is a, a very successful, um, uh, State Farm insurance agent in Vegas. So Keith was in the mix. And then a guy named Ron Montoya, who's a former principal at a high school there. I think the three or four of them, they're working kids out at like six o'clock in the morning at Greenspun Junior High School with the car lights on. <laughs> That's so you know, good. At six in the morning. Not, not even a surprise. No. I mean, he, he treated us, uh, you know, I mean, we were little eighth graders and at a little Catholic school. No one knew. Little did he, I mean, in that group of guys were, you know, Jim Sweeney and I, he played at Pitt and played in the NFL for 16 years. I played at Penn State. My other buddy played at Tennessee, was a starter there. All these really good young athletes, but he didn't do it for that because he didn't know. Who knew? You know, we we weren't even anything special, yeah. but he, boy, he was good to us. It's funny because we just had a doctor on the show last our last episode, and um, we talked about Gerg and how he he really got involved, and he broke his nose twice <laughs> because he would get in there and practice with the guys, and oh yeah, he I had to go it. to this doctor to fix up his nose twice. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was so. good. Well, that's why again, that's that's what the impact that coaches have, and mm -hmm. and that's you hope it's it's amazing. I'm sure he has had it. We all have it. You get these letters from kids. 10 years after you coach them 15, you know what I mean? Like, and mm -hmm. it's, it's really interesting to get those back. Cause then it makes you feel it re-energizes you, you know, right. when, when one of them gets back and says, Hey, I really appreciate this, this, and this, and you yeah. sometimes, you know, he, that's what I mean. He may, he has, sometimes you have no idea that, that you impacted a kid a certain way. Right. But, uh, it's, it is great to hear it when it, when it comes back to you a little bit. And he, mm -hmm. he probably has a ton of that type of stuff. Yeah. And I'm sure you as well. I mean, I yeah. think we all, you know, go yeah. through that and that, that's kind of what it's all about. I mean, I, I tell you one quick, I remember a guy, football player at UNLV, total, like the worst kid that I ever dealt with. I mean, just very good player, but just totally anti-organization. You know what I mean? Like, would every time do, wouldn't do it. And so him and I obviously butted heads quite a bit. I mean, he, you know, would tape over his shoes and you're not supposed to, you know, <laughs> yeah. and he would oh, steal yeah. tape out of the training room and go do it himself. You know, typical one of those guys. And uh, so he, you know, he went on and graduated and I literally ran, I, I had gotten bit by a spider. Um <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know it at the time, but I was feeling really sick. And what do you I, get and, for living in Vegas? There's all kind of bad <laughs> animals and bugs out there. <laughs> yeah. and, and I go, so I go to this, uh, you know, little clinic place, right? Because I felt terrible. And I told the lady, I said, I think I got bit by something. And she's looking, oh, yeah, it looks like you got a spider bite. And in walks this kid, 
Now we're talking 15, 20 years later. And he looks at me and I look at him and he's like, Jerry, I'm like, Hey, how you doing, man? And you know, he comes up, he says, Hey, can, can you step outside a bit? I got to talk to you. And so I'm like, well, okay. So we got outside. He says, Hey man, he said, I haven't seen you in years. And he said, I want you to know. He said, I think about this all the time. He said, I treated you like crap. He said, I, I, I really apologize, man. He said, I matured a lot since I left. Good for him. He said, you never raised your voice at me. You never treated me disrespectfully, but I treated you like crap. And he said, uh, I really appreciate everything you did, man. He gave me a big hug, you know. That's and that's kind of oh, yeah. like it made my day. My my spider bite didn't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. People, I know social media is you know hard for people. Like I I I don't. It's I love Facebook because I have. I mean, I just wish my starting right tackle from that first seat in LaSalle team a happy birthday a couple weeks ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, it's my Facebook is is family and friends, but a massive amount of the kids I've coached and been around. And it's, it's so fun to watch how they progress in life and, and how they're doing. And so many of them are doing incredibly well. I literally have one of the kids I coach at Maryland. I just reached out to him. He, he does, he's amazing. He's just like amazing talent making cakes. Like you should see these cakes, you know? <laughs> so we're trying to figure out how to get one up here for my birthday and anniversary next month, but it's, oh, yeah. it's hard to ship a cake, you know, yeah. but it's, but it's just, it is amazing. You know, that's what I love about social media. Cause you can, it, you see these guys just yeah, as really cool. what they're doing in the community and, and uh, it just makes you feel good, you know? Yeah. And a lot of them were like myself were idiots in college and did dumb things and oh, got yeah. in trouble. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. so it's, it is, it's interesting. Well, Definitely. speaking of college, I want to go back to your Penn state days. So first of all, for our listeners, um, it's really hard to believe that me as a West Virginia grad and you as a Penn State grad, that we actually became everybody, friends. Everybody graduates just driving by West Virginia. Well, Don't they do. hand yeah. out diplomas as <laughs> yeah, you go by? You, you, just, you just go to pull up to the admissions 79, office. 79, right? It's just, just boom. You yeah, they just give you a degree. little booth. It's like a exactly, little. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, when I grew up as a kid, obviously, there was disdain hatred for oh, Penn State. No doubt. And, and I never lived the good days of West Virginia beating Penn State because – from the time I was a kid. I would say day. It was only once, right? I don't think it was days. Well, I think it they beat him a couple day. times. But it, I, I know the day. I know it was 20, <laughs> 29 straight years yeah. that Penn State beat West Virginia before yeah. they won. And none of that happened from the time. My dad used to take me to West Virginia games when I was started when I was five, six years old, all the way till I, you know, graduated WVU and moved on. So that was at least so I witnessed at least 18 or 19 and then I watched the rest of them on TV, the misery of it all. <laughs> but I'll tell you a funny story. Cause I, I know playing for Joe Paterno, you probably have to have some, you know, great memories of that. I mean, a guy obviously was a great coach and the success that he had was like shoot paramount back then, you know, but um, I think I've told this story before, but one of my, most vivid memories of being a student athletic trainer at West Virginia was, uh, I got to, I got to remember the year I got it written down 1978. So a little bit before you, yeah, cause you were there years. in 81, right? Yeah, 80, but yeah. 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 So in 1978, I was assigned to the uh, soccer team as an athletic trainer. And we used to play our games before the football games, like at nine in the morning because they let all the drunk students in at like seven or eight. And so we'd have like five. I've noticed that when we played. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We had like 5,000 students at old Mountaineer field. If you remember Mountaineer field and we'd have a soccer game. So it was awesome atmosphere for our soccer team. Cause like, you know, where are they ever going to play in front of 5,000 students? So tuned up too. tuned up. Oh yeah. I mean, at West Virginia, if you didn't get in line, by the mountain lair at the top of the football stadium, there was a line that went for miles. <laughs> if you didn't get in line like at midnight, you you couldn't get into the game because wow. they only let so many students in. And uh, that's dedication. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> and they would drag kegs, and you know they would drag their kegs along. So it was total chaos in the morning when they opened up the gates and they just flooded the stadium. But um, so as as the soccer trainer, you know our game's over. I go in and get the soccer guys all taken care of. And then the football team comes in. So as a, because I wasn't assigned to football, my job was assigned to the visiting football team, which that game was Penn state. 
and uh, so you know I'm I'm doing my job, you know, kind of you know in the visiting team locker room, setting up all you know the water and helping out the Penn State athletic trainers and all that stuff, and uh, and all of a sudden, you know, I, I get kind of lost in what I'm doing, and then the t- you know Penn they come off the field, come in the locker room, like for the speech. Well, I'm in the back. And I can't get out. Well, I, I shouldn't say I can't get out, but I'm too embarrassed. Like, I'm not going to walk through the whole team. With your West Virginia with shirt With my West Virginia right. shirt yeah. on. You know what I mean? You might have like, got, like, Yeah, you might have got up. beat up, yeah. <laughs> Something. And I'm not going to do that. And, I'm, and, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a student. So I'm, you know, Joe Paterno is like, you know, I, I'm petrified to even look at the guy, really. You know, when you're intimidated when you're a kid like that, right? Yeah, definitely. And uh, so I'm stuck. So I get back in a little like covey where nobody can see me. <laughs> and the, the moral of the story is though, I, I heard, you know, Joe Paterno's pregame speech, which was awesome. Like I, I, I only wish I had like a tape recorder, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah. But then you would have been cheating. Well, I would. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're lucky they didn't catch you. They probably thought you were spying. Oh, on they didn't, there, oh you know? I know. I was, I was scared to death, you know, but I never will forget that game. Uh, Chuck Fusina was the quarterback. Yeah. And then, uh, Matt Millen mm-hmm. was a all-American linebacker, oh, yeah. right? Big, uh, he was a D lineman then, oh, D-lineman. believe it or not. Yeah, big big-time player. Yep, Bruce and Clark then, and Matt Suey yep. was their running back. And Penn State probably was ranked, I don't know, in the top five or whatever. You know, the stadium was sold out. So I'm on the visiting team sideline, and West Virginia. All of a sudden, you know, they jump. They fourteen nothing. West Virginia goes. I, I don't remember how, but it's fourteen nothing, and. You know, everybody's, you know, of course, Morgantown, they're going nuts. And and I remember Joe Paterno coming over to the offense, the offensive line sitting on the thing, and he's like, okay, just relax, take it one play at a time, blah, blah, blah. And I think the final score was like uh, 49 to 21 or something, <laughs> Penn State won, you know. But I always remember that. I remember, you know, kind of peeking around and seeing Joe Paterno talking to the team, and I'm like, this is yeah, pretty oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, before we talk about him, but I, I'll, so we play, I think one of, I don't know if it was the first game in the new stadium, but one of the first games in the new stadium. It, it would have been, because I think the new stadium, op- I, I graduated in 80 and it opened in a- 81. 81. I, yep. I was, I was a, a sophomore starting defensive lineman and I, I had a little hit. I loved the warm up pregame in front of the fans the visiting fans, because I love the interaction. You know, <laughs> you know me well enough. So, yeah. so I go down there and and uh, immediately flip a few birds to them, and and they're screaming at me, and they're yelling at me, and they're throwing stuff, whatever they have. And I'm, you know, I'm about twenty yards away, and I'm warming up, and and so I I had them pretty worked up, you know. And I used to do that every stadium we went to. I to this day I still walk when I well as position coach I would go to the student section and have a few words with the lads. You're like Juju Smith-Schuster who goes and dances on the other team's logo. I, I would never disrespect the team, but they're getting the fans going yeah. different. Yeah. But, but so, so I'm doing this, but you imagine I'm doing my warm up, so I'm doing oh. it right. So I, you've, you've ever heard of a turf monster, right? You know, turf monster means you trip with no one near you. I turf monster in front of the whole section. <laughs> And they they oh. taught me the rest of the game. It was unbelievable. I was like so mad. So I was like, funny. they made fun of me that's the whole so time. Funny. That was uh, that's what you get. That's, that's karma. what I got. That was karma. I had them all whipped up. I've been hit with. I got hit with a battery. You know, oh yeah. You know they. I've had I, some of the things that have gone on in that stadium. So I played there twice in college, and then I obviously I coached at Pitt. So I was there three times. Um, we the year we beat them for the. When they were going to the oh, national yeah. championship game, I hate to bring that up, Jerry. I'm sorry. I that was yeah, believe <laughs> but, me, I, I still remember that too. But you know, I tell everybody, you know, the the way they bring you in behind the stadium, the students are just long. Our team, we were we were three and seven. We we just were. Everyone was picking us to lose by like sixty. Oh <laughs> it was yeah, ridiculous. Kirk Herbstreit said sixty six, seventy seven, whatever they want to score. You know, yeah. it was one of those kind of games, and I'll never forget it. We were pulling in that back road, and I. They start throwing shit off the bus, right? Oh yeah. And uh, they get. We had a running back named Lashawn McCoy who gets all fired up. <laughs> so now all of a sudden, this dead football team is like rattling the buses, screaming out the windows, and the, getting energy. And we get out on the field, and they run through our stretch lines, right? Talking trash, and, uh-huh. and I'm like, I'm standing with my, I'm like, well, at least they're waking us up. We'll give them our best, and then we end up winning the game. So it was 
It was like Walking Dead after that game. It was like people shambling down the street, oh. like walking. It was dead quiet. I mean, it if, was, if you think, you know, and again, for people listening, you know, West Virginia was undefeated. Pitt was terrible. That's always a big rivalry. West Virginia is going to go to play for the national championship. Yeah, Georgia. They were going to play, and they were better and, than Georgia. They probably would have won a national championship. Oh, yeah. And, 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 uh, and I, I, you know, I remember we, we had a football game that in the afternoon got done with that game and I ended up at a bar in Vegas after the game and to w- just watch the game. And, and my assistant um, at the time was also a WVU grad. And so we're both of us, you know, sprint over to this bar to watch the game and we're sitting there. I'm like in shock. I mean, West Virginia couldn't score. And, and, it was, and, and, it was and, unbelievable. Yeah. I, and, you know, being a West Virginia fan and being a college football fan, you know, that has to be like top 10 biggest upsets ever in the history of college football. Yeah, no doubt. I, I mean, and it, it just happened to be the last game of the college season at night at, at night. eight o'clock. Yeah. At, you know what I mean? Like it was just like everybody was watching. It was, it, yeah. I've been part of a couple of, you know, amazing. That locker room after the game was one of the two times of my life that was ridiculously spectacular that you just can't put into words to joy into kids and, you know, then to see, Coach Rodriguez's press conference the next day, and you can hear the locker room that where they did their media was like right outside our locker room, and you can hear the locker. I mean, it is chaos in our locker room. You know? <laughs> yeah. It oh. was unbelievable. That was just no, I, I bet. I mean, and they the- were good. They they were they were really good. We were we played about the most. You say you never play a perfect game. I'm not sure. We might have played because we couldn't beat them if we didn't. Yeah, we might have played the perfect defensive game I've ever been around. Yeah. No. What's was- the second locker room? Best, well, it's, it, best. if it was when we won the national championship at Penn State, and it was it was the the post game celebration. You, you can only, I mean, not it's the only experience I've ever had like this. But it it ended the locker room is a distant memory because it went from the locker room to the buses to the hotel. So when we walk in the hotel, the 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 Hilton in in New Orleans is just. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, if there was a fire code, we were way over it. You know? <laughs> and I had my, the, I was a starting defensive tackle with Dave Ofar, who's a D coordinator at Duquesne now. And we had a bet. We went into the game tied for tackles. So it was uh, whoever won, the other guy got a case of beer. So I had more tackles in the national championship game. So I'm, I walk in the hotel with a case of beer at my shoulder, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, 1983. So oh, it's yeah. a little different life. But we go into this chaos in the hotel. We get, you know, we have chaos that night. Oh, man. Get up the next morning. We get on the plane. We fly back. And it's the most amazing thing. We fly to, we had to fly into Harrisburg back then because you couldn't land a, you know, plane in State College. Yeah. So we, from from the Harrisburg airport to a, a field right outside of the airport, packed wall-to-wall people, stage, speeches, get on the bus. And and I'll never forget it. We We literally, if you've ever made that, drive from Harrisburg, you probably haven't, to State College. It's about a two, two and a half hour ride on Route 22 up the mountain to State College. Mm-hmm. And f- every single little town, every single town had their, were waiting for us. So when we would pull into the town, they would escort us through with their fire trucks, right? Oh, the yeah. The streets line. And and uh, it just was amazing. I mean, I've never seen, and we get back to Penn State and it's the first, you pull in to the first lot and it's a strip mall and it's jam i don't know where all these people came from you know (laughs) and then we go we go to the locker room and they're literally standing on the roof of the locker room and we're just getting mauled getting out of the locker room and i'll never forget it because i get in i have this case of beer on my shoulders right and i didn't drink any on the bus or anything but we were i walk in and um i get inside i had six beers left people were taking the beers out of the top (laughs) of the thing so that's it was just chaos and people and chaos and it's just an amazing you know, day and a half experience, two day experience. That's awesome. Yeah, it was crazy. But those are the things that you never forget, right? I mean, no, I I can't even. That's just great. So it's just so special. You know, you can't, you, you don't even realize you see the parades and you just don't realize everything. You know, the fan base at Penn State is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, they're insane. You fill up 108,000 every week, no matter who the opponent is for the most part. That's what's crazy. Like, you know, I've been to Penn State, um, you know, before I came to Albany and I went there a couple of times being here at Albany, of course, many years in between it changed, Penn State changed a lot, but one thing that hasn't changed, I mean, State College is out in the middle of nowhere. It, it's, it's, 
30,000 people. And you drive there and see that huge stadium, and you're like, where in the hell do these people come from every Saturday to go watch college football? I always say that, like, coaching at Pitt, I love the University of Pittsburgh. I always loved the University of Pittsburgh. I grew up a Pitt fan. I never – I hated Penn. I didn't even – my first game at Penn State was so surreal because I did. I hated Penn State growing up, so it was like really <laughs> weird that I was at Penn State. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah, really strange. I mean, it was. I'm standing out there in a uniform, just thinking, "What am I doing?" You know. <laughs> but I love the University of Pittsburgh. But I always say more people drive to Pittsburgh from Pittsburgh to Penn State to watch a game probably that go to a Pitt game sometimes, and it's really amazing the yeah. difference in the um, fan base. Now, Pitt's fan base is really um, dedicated, but not all of them go to the games. You know, and it's you know no nothing on campus you lose a lot of this different things they're starting to build it back up but penn state is just fanatical you know it's just one of those amazing fan bases it is it's mm-hmm. awesome yeah. So, yeah well well let's so let's get up to the present now okay yeah let's go to albany from- because kind of uh your your time at albany paralleled my time at albany because you got there in 2013 right and i got there in 2014 you you had one season under your belt, mm-hmm. and again for our listeners, it, it's kind of cool because Albany had a football coach Bob Ford that was there for forty two years, right? uh, forty four years, yeah, forty four years. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of years to have one coach. That's um, insane. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he it was amazing what he did. It was yeah. really amazing. You know, I, and you you think about that, and then all of a sudden, here comes Greg Gattuso. So. What was it like to take over a program? And, and not only that, they transitioned from the NEC, where you had like 35 scholarships, to the league that we're presently in with 65 scholarships in, in the CAA. Mm-hmm. So what enticed you to follow a guy that had been there 44 years? Well, you know, it's it's funny. I You know, I, I would think I was – I just turned 50 maybe. And I kind of knew my head coaching window was closing at the one a level. And I, I, you know, I wanted to be a head coach. I had, um, again, you know, I, I enjoyed my 10 years as an assistant, but I wanted to run my own program. And I, I literally, I was sitting in a parking lot outside the hotel on a Friday night for a home Maryland game. And I was talking to my friend, Bob Benson, who, who, and I was asking, he used to be the Georgetown coach. And I, and I said, Hey, I'm here in Georgetown might open. I really want to be a head coach again. Do, do you have any connections left? He goes, why would you want to go to Georgetown? Go to Albany. I'm like, Bob Ford's what, what happened to Bob? He goes, he retired. I go, get out of here. I didn't have no idea. Like I'm literally yeah. getting ready to go. You know, we're so immersed in our season. So he tells me about it. So Sunday I send an email to the then AD Lee McElroy and he gets back to me on Monday and says, get your stuff in. So I got it in on Friday. The deadline was Sunday. So, I mean, it was just intervention, you know, I mean, that's why I say these weird, like if I don't pick up the phone to call Bob Benson, I would have never known the job was open and I would have never applied. Yeah. So it was just kind of one of those things, but coming, I, Bob, Bob's a good guy and has done a great job at, at Albany. He's, you know, he's a legend with the alumni and, and he's, um, he raised them up from, club football to division three to division two to non-scholarship fcs to which i think very similar to what happened at duquesne yeah dan mccann was the head coach at there he had club football he took them to division three they just never really got out of division three and were struggling when i came in there so it was a little bit similar in some regards but um i think i think the I think it would have been hard for one of bob's guys to be the next head coach i i think when you take over for a legend in a community, in a program. And it's just, when you're one of the guys, it's just, a, you're always going to get second guess. I, I I came from a totally different tree. You know what I mean? Like I had no Albany roots. I, um, the only thing I ever really did at Albany was lose a big game to Bob back on that old field behind the, 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 <laughs> the yeah, <laughs> which is a funny story. Um, but I, I, I didn't, I've never felt any, um, anything that because we just are different people bob and i we i think we have very similar core beliefs in how to treat people and how to coach and uh, i think that's probably true um haven't been around them but we are just complete opposites in every way from size to you know yeah he's a he's a he's a very nice gentleman on the field and i'm not um you know so <laughs> it's we have a little different ways but i think both of us love our players and treat them with great respect and care about our kids and i i know that from 
the alumni support that he has and, and, uh, and the type of kids we're bringing into our program right now. It's just, it's a different level. It's a different time. And I think yeah. the jump at the, the, the transition time was the right time for Bob. I think he might disagree with that, but CAA is a beast, you yeah. know? And, and, um, so I think that it was, it was interesting. It's still interesting sometimes, you know, I mean, some of the alumni will talk later on a little bit, but some people were mad about some things I, the way I've done them. And, but through it all, I've have incredible respect for Bob and and what he accomplished to be somewhere forty four years and be successful. He has the and the the National Football League and the F, uh, BCS level FCS level is just littered with people that have worked for Bob over the years. He did a great job mentoring young coaches, and I've got a lot of mm. admiration for him for doing that. Well, and I know when I first got there, you know, and and Mark Benson, the athletic director, you know, assigned me to football to kind of help with the day-to-day stuff. And I started looking at, you know, scholarship numbers and where the program was and the, the facilities, the locker room. Now, the one good thing was, you know, they built a really nice stadium. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they didn't put any amenities in it, like locker rooms and right. things like that. But no, it's it, a great stadium. Yeah, it's a great stadium. It's a great place to play. Um, but, you know, I, I looked at, you know, like your job being, you know, not because you're sitting here, but, but a very tough job. I mean, going from the NEC to the CAA and, and, and getting in with some of these established schools like, you know, Villanova, Richmond, James Madison, who's obviously one of the best schools in the country. Even Maine has, you know, kind of had a standard of football. Maine, Maine, Maine's, been, Maine's been in existence for playing football for 30, 40 years. Right. Sometimes people can – like, that question's been asked to me on campus. Of, uh, who do you – I, who do you compare us to? And, and they'll say Maine. And I'm like, no, it's not a fair comparison because Maine's been doing this for a lot Long longer time. than Albany's been yeah. doing it at this mm-hmm. level. It's, there's really not, we, we, you know, it is, it's been, it's not easy. It's, it's a, no. it's a battle every week, but it's, it's a, it's why we do it. It's fun. You know, I yeah. enjoy it. I love overachieving. I've always, I've never coached at that place where every kid wants to go. You know what I mean? Like even at Pitt, we were fighting yeah. for recruits everywhere. So, and, and I, you know, I told you this, like, you know, for me, again, I'm not a football coach, so it has nothing to do with building the program on the inside, but more building a program on the outside, which, you know, I, when I, I started looking at your program and I told you this, I said, I, you know, I thought you were like eight years away to be competitive with the James Madisons of the yeah. world and the Richmonds and so forth. But yet in 2019, Coach Gattuso, you took your team to the first ever CA playoff game um, and won and yep. then, you know, ended up losing in the second round. But that's one hell of an accomplishment that people I think that are listening uh, should know that, that that's, that's really good. And I think the program under your direction is in really good hands and really good shape. I mean, I think facility wise, you, you know, still have to grow, but the recruiting job that you've done and the other thing, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. You talked about Jim Sweeney, but the thing that impressed me the most when I came here and I looked at your coaching staff, I mean, you have a coaching staff with you being included. uh, Maybe I should exclude you, but yeah, exclude me uh, They do all the work. Trust me. (laughs) No, but your coaching staff literally was like a division one power five coaching. I mean, you had Bernard Clark, Mm -hmm. Uh, he was, you know, a great college player, great coach. You, you mentioned Jim Sweeney. You had um, uh, Nate that, you know, was in the NFL. Played, as your yep, tight six end. years. You know, and uh, you, your good friend Joe Bernard, who'd been with you forever. And and I know I'm missing some guys. Yeah, that, Keith Dzinski. I mean, we, we have yeah, – Keith Dzinski was a D coordinator at Maryland. He's now at Arizona. You know, I mean, we we I've been blessed with great assistant coach because that's yeah. what it's all about. I mean, it's – it's funny because like you watch basketball practice and different sports practice, but there's nothing like football where you have to have people you trust. You can't, yeah. you can't as a head football coach, if I have to micromanage, then we're doomed. You can't survive in football that way. It's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's, it's unsustainable. You have to have great assistant football coaches. And I have been, I, I came up with a lot. I feel, I feel very confident in my ability to find those kind of guys. And, and um, it's, it's a simple process for me. They have to be intelligent. If, if, if they don't, if they don't have a sense of humor, I don't hire them because I, I really, I mean it. I mean, yeah. if you don't have a sense of humor, you're not going to survive on our staff. That's for sure. You right. know, and, 
if they're smart and they work hard and they have a sense of humor, I could put them anywhere on the field and coach and they'll do a great job. And I've found that to be very true with assistant football, any, anybody really, you know, these, these guys are good. We've been blessed. We have a good staff right now. We've lost a lot of good Bernard Clark's at Robert Morris doing a great job. Aaron Smith's at, um, who I took off. I kept off Bob staff is at, um, at UConn, Nick Sanchez moved on and went yeah. higher level. We, we've got a, a large group Somebody of guys. went to Air Force. Uh, Delbert Calcet went to Air Force yeah. and Chrome Cox went to Air Force. Um, you yeah. know, we, we've, my support people have gotten jobs. Um, I gave, uh, a, a young lady a job in our program, Diana, and she's, she's, um, she's, I keep telling her when she's going to run an NFL team someday. I don't know if she'll be first or second, but She's incredible. She's working with the Redskins now. Oh, really? Um, yep. Oh, okay. She's That's doing awesome. great. She's good person. Yeah, yeah, we Jimmy Jimmy Lee is up in Buffalo. He's he's got some opportunities that are starting to float by him. So we we've been blessed with hiring good people and and um I I have a lot of I have a lot of confidence in a few things. Naming great restaurants for people to go to. <laughs> and I, I've yeah. always been able to hire great assistant coaches. Even in even in high school, you know, Bobby Pelko and I hired at Seton LaSalle his he just, he just won his eighth Whippeal championship. You know, he has the most, you know, Terry taught in central Catholic. These are the best guys in the area. Lou zero. I've always kind of had a knack for finding these guys and I'm very confident in hiring coaches and, and it's, I'm, I appreciate you recognize those guys because they're, you know, we have a great group. Joe Davis is, yeah, Joe, is outstanding, yeah, yeah. you know, know and, it, uh, very impressive. No question. And I, uh, I think, you know, moving forward that that's why I really believe Albany is, you know, really going to come to the forefront in the CAA and in football. And I think once the capital region embraces the fact that there's, you know, really good football now in the, in the capital region, I think, you know, you're off to a great start and it's, you know, it's been four years, five years, but, um, and, and I know this past season, let's jump a little yeah, bit. It's, it's, this past season was crazy. And, and. Well, I have a question before we jump onto that kind of in the same realm of having good assistant coaches, but you mentioned recruiting and I've always wondered like how, at least I know I'm sure everybody goes about recruiting differently. Sure. How do you go about recruiting? Like, do you hear about these up and coming players? Do you actually like physically go and see games or like, how does that work? Um, it's, that's a great question. I mean, we're, we're, there's a thing called huddle now that's kind of changed recruiting because you can get film of any kid you want, as long as you subscribe to them. The, 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 you know, just your podcast is an indication of the technology changes and how you do things. Uh, Huddle has been transformative for college recruiting. I can get any game film I want for a kid in Idaho if I want, you know, mm-hmm. so. But how do you hear about that kid? Well, we, there's a lot of services out there and different things, but it's all about coaches recruiting on the road. They, they, they're the, I literally delete and throw away anything from a recruiting service. I don't even look at them. Yeah. You know, I, I don't go by anyone else. I have a different way of doing things. Um, I, I've, I know I have to find hidden gems, you know, when I'm not going to be able to get pick of the litter, you know, schools like some of the schools in our conference get pick of the litter. We don't, mm-hmm. we have to uncover and, and, and work hard to find kids and project. And so we have a certain style of athlete. We recruit, we like tall, long athlete, you know, tall, long kids. We don't care if they're physically where we need them yet. So, um, the coaches go out with that mandate to find these guys. We, we have a premium on bendability and speed and it don't matter um Maison walker is a perfect example on our football team of a kid that no one wanted because Maison's five nine and a half mm-hmm. he plays street technique he's one of the best kids i've ever coached and he's unblockable at times and he's he's a pain for the opposing defense and he's literally like you know yeah. he's your dad's height you know <laughs> so, shorty but he's but so we we don't we we take production as a as a more important thing than measurables and so that's kind of our philosophy and then they got to go out in their districts and recruit. We don't spend, you know, I'm a, I'm not a coach that flies to, you know, Europe to go visit kids or goes to Canada. I've never made it to Canada, Canada, recruit kids. I don't, we do recruit a little bit of Florida, but not much. You know, we recruit about seven, eight States and, and one, it saves us financially some money, which is important, but there's plenty of good football players in the surrounding eight, nine States. And, and we, we, those coaches, and if I spread out now, we have to start paying more services and doing all that. Mm -hmm. My coaches go into their districts and they talk to the high school coaches. Um, they all have their own connections, which is important when you're recruiting a coach to make sure that they, they understand how they can impact recruiting. And I always put them in their home district. So if, if, you know, if I hire a coach immediately, he can recruit where he grew up. 
you know, right. and, and for two reasons, one, and I learned this from a wise man over here. He's, but, <laughs> but no, I, I, you know, I make sure if a guy can go home and stay with his family and see his mom and dad and recruit that area, then awesome. Yeah, so, right. if, you know, if guys that are from Florida, I send them home and it saves us money, but yet it opens up another area of recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we work really hard in Pennsylvania, Maryland, New Jersey, um, obviously New York. And, you know, we've expanded into the UMass and Connecticut a little bit in the UMass in Massachusetts and Connecticut. Um, but we don't go, you know, a lot of the traditional places just because it's just not worth right. the treasure to do it and the time for the coaches. We, we really value relationships with the high school coaches and try to find those kids mm-hmm. in, in the region. And we've done a good job. We're finding hidden gems. We're our young the one thing that's come out of these four games that's been fantastic is our young talent is really, really good. I mean, mm-hmm. we have we have literally six corners right now that are better than what mostly what I've had in the last five years. Our talent level has risen every year, our size level, and it's it's about to get even better. That's awesome. Okay, well, great. So let's talk about a little bit about this crazy last year. And, you know, unfortunately, we, we did talk a couple episodes ago about how you guys had to – end your season early. And my dad kind of touched on, you know, conversations with you, but tell us a little bit about like, just about it. Just tell us about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, it's funny. Cause I, when I, I really, the fall was heartbreaking for all of us, you know, I mean, to not have our kids, we didn't put pads on in 2020, mm-hmm. which is, Crazy. This is never, you know, <laughs> usually you wear pads twice and have, you know, a spring practice and a fall. We we didn't wear pads once in 2020. So I think what led to us not playing our last two games was all about training. You know, we we lost so much in-person training. I think anybody that lifts weights and has been an athlete knows you train better as a team than you do individually, one. And two, the supervision of the weight coach is really critical. And, you know, our weight coaches, you know, Matt Barber and his assistant Rick Rich does they're just fantastic. So our kids missed. So we got two weeks in February of 20 normal pandemic hits. Um, we have to quit training. Spring ball gets canceled. All the horrible things. And then I would start with just saying not playing football is least of the things that people have gone through in society with this terrible pandemic. But for us in our world, we lost all that training and then there was no summer program we normally do or we train. Now the kids are trying to lift and trying to do things, but gyms are closed yep. for everybody. But for our kids in particular, it was tough because we couldn't do things on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, we get back um, summer, you know, we go into fall, hoping to have a fall practice at least. We had five helmet practices. Three of those were socially distant. So football is tough to play socially distant. <laughs> yeah. Two of them were actually, you know, kind of practices, but with just helmets. And then we got shut down again, you yeah. know, and so we didn't, and we didn't do anything after that. Kids went home for Christmas. So when we got back in January, we had six weeks to get ready for the first game. And, and I, you know, I give all my guys a ton of credit. I mean, they, they came in for the most part in really good shape. Um, but it just, we were terrified of, you know, we, we call soft tissue injuries, the hamstrings, the, the groins, the hip flexors, the, the muscular things. And, and, um, it just was every week was, it was like a mash unit, you know, mm-hmm. it was, we were just, we, we lost a couple games that we would never have normally lost. And we just, you know, it was just hard and it was hard for a lot of people, but we did not have the proper training. Now everybody didn't, wasn't in the same boat. Normally in football, you have pretty similar, um, training, you know, care hours. There's so much that went into it. But we didn't, and and so we, I think we made the most of what we could do. But we just, we just, we were to the point now where the injuries were affecting the fall of twenty twenty one. It kids were really beat up. Yep. I, I will, I, and I would pause and say this: the thing I was really proud of was when when this kind of hit me that we had thirty two kids Sunday after the Stony Brook game on the injured list, which Jerry knows is probably twenty twenty five more than normal. It was, and it wasn't just bumps and bruises. Um, but I want to say someone came to me and said, well, why don't, why don't we just, and it wasn't, it was one of my assistants, I think the young assistant, why don't we just say we had COVID and opt out for a game or two until we, and I was like, our kids have done so well, not getting COVID. And I, and I take my hat off to the football team. They tested three days a week, um, for eight weeks, nine weeks. We had only three kids that actually missed the test and they made them up. 
And then we had one kid that was positive in that entire time. And he was, it was the second week of camp and he, he has a girlfriend he lives with that, that, you know, wasn't, there's just no way that that just happens, you mm-hmm. know? It's, yep. So these kids busted their tails. I wasn't going to lie or make an excuse. And you know, the, the injuries in my mind are COVID related to the point we had them. And we just, our kids just were, were beat up. And yeah. I just felt that it was the best thing to do. I went to Mark Benson, our athletic director, and you know, he was, he was right on board with it. He, he went and met with our trainers. He, he, you know, he did his investigation and and we all felt that it was the right thing to do. Uh, he went to president Rodriguez with our concerns and he was on board with it. And the record, anything, nothing would have changed my yeah. mind on this. You know, right. um, I, I was, I was very appreciative of the support of the athletic department, the league, because mm-hmm. there's you know, a lot of people are upset by it. You know, we have alumni that are, you know, that are mad at me and I, and it, until you walk in someone's shoes, it's hard to make a decision. Obviously, this would never happen in a normal year. This right. this was a pandemic. You know, this was a totally different animal than. And around the country, you've seen. I think seventy five FCS games were canceled uh, or postponed, mostly canceled. Um, teams, we weren't the first team to do it. We certainly weren't. The next two days later, UNH, URI, Stony Brook, they all finished up. So yeah. Yeah. We were, we talked in the last episode too, like, you know, when you start in the summer, which typically that's when you start working out for football and all that. And then you, your first games are warmer, you know, here they were starting to work out in freezing ass cold upstate New York, January. Trust me, trust me. (laughs) You know? And it's like, I mean, I give the guys, the athletes a lot of credit because they were, they never complained. They, the funny, you know, not funny. It wasn't funny. Our, our bubble blew down and right before Christmas. <laughs> and when, when I heard the first thing I thought was, oh, that's awesome. Now we have nowhere to walk through. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we, we had to do everything outside. Yeah. So, Ooh. you know, we're, uh, we couldn't go in the gyms cause we have 18 sports playing, you know what I mean? And for us to go in a gym and, and get anything done is, is tough. Mm-hmm. So when we did walkthroughs, we basically, we either had to do them real early in the morning in, in, in the indoor, which we did a couple inside, especially in the preparation leading up to camp, but we had to do them outside. You know, we, we were out in the cold, you know, it does, your body doesn't recover as well. There, no. there, you know, it was, we, the week, the week of this, the New Hampshire game, you know, I had this brilliant idea. We're playing at night. Let's practice Monday night. And, and so we go out Monday night. Well, that was the night of the blizzard in Albany. So I have these incredible <laughs> pictures of, of this, us practicing in the blizzard, you know, I mean, yeah. it, it just was all the way around. And there's a little thing in athletics people don't know about called Kara. That's how rule the, the amount of time we're allowed to practice and play. And then during the season, you get 20 hours, three hours for a game, then 17 hours lift meetings practice right uh-huh. which isn't a ton of time for football yeah so when we but when we're in camp we don't have care limits so we usually are somewhere but you know with our meetings and all that we do football all day right. so it's like 36 hours or so in the week so it's we when we started camp when we started camp we immediately started school at the same time mm-hmm. so instead of having 29 practices with no school we had two practices with no school and so now our kids are in class or in Zoom classes. Our care is at 20, not 36. It, it was a challenge in every regard. And, yep. and so there was a lot of things that, that caused it. But at the end of the day, the kids, it's safety to kids. Somebody, some adult had to step in and say, yep. you know, and, and, I, and I told Mark, I'll take the whole hit for this. I have no problem. I never did. He was great. He, he was supportive of it. And I think our kids, we were all, believe me, we were all, devastated and disappointed, Mm -hmm. but man, they knew it. Yep. They knew it. Well, I think that's just going to bring you back stronger in 2021. And it sounds like you got a great, great upcoming season and program that you're working with. So yeah, we're, we're excited. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really juiced up about the young kids that that was the four games when we talked in January, Mark and I sat down and talked about, he literally said to me, he said, Craig, if we can get three or four games then I'll call it a win, you know, mm-hmm. and we, we had 41 practices and four games and, and with one, one COVID illness. Right. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. I'm yeah. very proud of the team. I, I, people that are upset, I, I feel bad that they're upset, but they, they have, they, if there's an alumni, I've talked to some of our alumni and one of them was very upset and I explained everything to him. And I, I told him, I said, I'm, you know, 
I lived through one of the biggest tragedies you can as a as an athlete at your program, and mm-hmm. and uh, I never once quit supporting my football team. Right. And so that's the kind of alumni that we we have at Albany, and the ones if they can't fit that or rise up to that level of support, then I, I understand. Yeah. You know, we we want people in our program and in our our alumni group to love our program, come hell or high water, and and certainly. I, I'm open for criticism and that's mm-hmm. fine, but, um, support the program. Cause yeah. it's, it's, it is, it's worth it. When you see these young guys that are going out in the world, the, yeah. the great kids we've brought into the program. I mean, they're just, there's, they're, they're people you can be proud of. Well, and at the end of the day, you're the head coach and those are the tough decisions that a head coach has to make. And, you know, like you said, all you can do it, you know, I, I mean, we here on Cuddy and the Cooge the podcast <laughs> support your decision thank you. and think thank you did you. the yes. right thing so <laughs> well, you know, that i mean i still like he 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 up and retires on me which i know i, I had no say so in it i know there was no discussion <laughs> you know i mean it's like you know he he but he's he's still there for me all the time and yeah. you know we have our little coffee shop we meet at if yeah. i need some counseling and and i um I'm just thankful I've I've had a chance to meet him and his and, phone still rings just as much. So yeah, no, I know I, I try not to sometimes, but sometimes I he I, likes it. Just I need keep a doing I need it. a calming voice and yeah. a voice of reason and um, he eats it up, Greg. Just keep doing well, it. He's, he's I hate to say nice things on him on your show and, and publicly, but no, he's he's I've very rarely been around anyone like your dad that that's the calm demeanor, the, you know, he always used, I loved his, his phrase he coined. We all say it in the football offices, price of doing business. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I'm sure that the, people are tired of hearing that from me in the athletic department, <laughs> price of doing business. But no, he's always, the thing that, that, that amazed me about your dad when I first met him was it, no never came out of his mouth until it had to come out, you know? Right. So there was always a, if you asked for something or you wanted to do something, it was a, well, let's see if we can figure a way to do this. Mm-hmm. And many, many, many times we could, but yeah. it was never no. Well, Greg, I figured that out at about five years old that I could go to my dad and he probably wouldn't say no to <laughs> his little angel. <laughs> he has ATM written on his yeah, forehead. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, Greg, we really appreciate your time and, you know, your insight. And uh, this was fun. I really, I really look forward to more in basement guests because it's just so much more fun. Like no, you said, not in basement in studio. In We're not studio. studio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is way more than a basement. Anyway. You're right. You're right. I, the zoom thing is, is I'm really despise it, even though it's a very useful tool. I, mm-hmm. I, I am not good. I am. I have some attention deficit. There's no doubt. <laughs> and being on there, I, f- I mean, I don't even know what's going on half the time in the yeah. meetings and I, I'm terrible. I don't know how these kids have done it, to be I honest. I know, I know. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that well, was a great episode. It was. Thanks, Coach. Oh, Appreciate thanks. being here. I'm very proud. Well, I thanks for your put friendship that on my resume. Few years. Yes, yeah. that can <laughs> yeah. go on my resume. And we'll probably our our listership will go up tremendously. Oh, I'm now. sure. Yes. We're yeah. looking forward. It should. To it. Yeah, yes. it's awesome. leap through the through the uh, roof. No, yes. it, it is. We, we really appreciate taking the time. I know you're busy and you got a lot of things going on. So thanks for being oh, here. It's yeah. great being here. All right, everyone. Well, that wraps up another awesome episode of Cuddy and the Cooge. And uh, we will be back with more guests. We've got them lined up back to back. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, Wherever you're streaming this podcast, if you would be so kind as to give us a subscribe and maybe even a review. In addition, you can find us for any updates on social media, Facebook or Instagram. Our handle is at Cuddy and the Cooge. Cuddy with a C, Cooge with a K. Or you can email any questions or submit any feedback to Cuddy and the Cooge at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.